Welcome to the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Burhovich. In the last episode, I have spoken to Jessica Schull, European lead for the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Jessica and I spend most of the time peeling the onion on the European Union landscape for DTX. So for this episode, I decided to stay in Europe and interview one of the founding fathers of the DTA, Pierre Laurent. Yes, that's me and my attempt at a French accent. Pierre is the CEO and founder of Voluntus, the first publicly listed DTX company on the Euronext in Paris. But before we dive in, I very briefly met Pierre at a first Frontiers Health Conference in Berlin. Pierre struck me as a very kind individual, fast-paced, and a determined entrepreneur. And now we jump to my conversations with Pierre. I'm here with Pierre Laurent. Am I pronouncing this correctly, first of all, but you'll tell me when you're break. Uh, and I'm honored to have what I would call one of the fathers of digital therapeutics, and I'm not trying to aid you in any way, shape, or form. But I'd love for our listeners to get to know you first. So maybe a little bit of background on yourself, kind of how you came into this industry or even creating parts of this industry. And then let's just pause there. Thanks, Eugene. And uh, thanks again for the invitation. So uh, my last name is Pierre Laurent. <laughs> so as you can I see, was close. I'm French. So my background is uh, I'm an engineer by training. I've always been passionate about you know, the field of digital health. Especially because I, I believe that we are in the middle of two major revolutions, you know, the digital revolution, but also, uh, you know, a revolution in medicine with more and more, you know, personalized healthcare. So that led me to uh, want to apply my uh, engineering skills to a field with meaning, healthcare. And I started my career at GE Medical Systems, where I work in their medical imaging division. So at that time, I was contributing to very fancy stuff, you know, uh, software that helps you navigate through the body, you know, through uh, MRI and x-rays. And I, I saw, uh, you know, great technology there. I wanted to work in Silicon Valley. So I work for a technology company that is developing electronic medical records in the field of cardiology. So I, uh, I saw great technologies for healthcare professionals, but I saw also uh, the uh, emerging uh, power of digital technology that we could apply also to uh, help patients more directly. So uh, I really wanted to uh, see how we could uh, best support you know, patients in uh, self-managing their treatment on a daily basis, how we could better connect the patients with their healthcare team. And I didn't see really solutions that were you know, going very far in that direction. So ultimately, uh, you know, that led me to start about thinking about creating a company to be able to provide this uh, innovation to the market. And uh, that's the story behind the early days of uh, the creation of Voluntis. So you saw the potential of technology and what year that was like the spark was, you know, hey, let me actually go on this entrepreneurial journey and create a company around this. So it was right, uh, you know, in the early 2000 years. So uh, right after, you know, the burst of the uh, internet bubble. So uh, it was really the early days of, uh, you know, uh, e-health in general. So we started the company first as a software company, but we uh, evolved over time. And uh, I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to talk more about it today. Yeah, it's interesting, right? To your point, right after the dot-com bubble where the internet was used for widgets and gadgets to be delivered, which is still still is to the case, um, maybe talk a little bit about actually that journey, right? Because I don't know if Voluntis as a name existed already in, in 2000 or and maybe talk about your entrepreneurial journey. And I'm sure at the time there was no concept of it. There was digital 
there was molecular therapeutics, but the concept of digital therapeutics probably didn't even exist, nor even you had it in your mind in early 2000. Yes. So uh, I'm happy to share more about, uh, about our trajectory as a company. When You're right. When we started, there was no such thing as digital therapeutics. Uh, so we were talking about you know, uh, medical software. You know, the guiding principle and the vision behind Voluntis has not changed over the years. I mean, it has still been you know, uh, to support patients in uh, you know, self-managing their treatment, improving their experience with their therapy. The vision has perfected over time and has you know, evolved also as the space evolved itself. But when we started, we were developing regular software that we would use in uh, patient support programs, you know, disease management programs. We had more like a B2B or, you know, software as a service type of business. It was good. I mean, we, uh, we grew the company and we worked with pharma, medtech, insurance companies, healthcare service providers. We reached, you know, break even, uh, in uh, 2011 under that model and so on. But we, we also, uh, you know, had, a you know, seeing the early results of that approach, and uh, we felt that we could look into doing something further than that. And when I say further than that, I, we really wanted to see how we could, you know, embed medical intelligence into our system to uh, generate automatically interventions to patients to uh, best support them along the way of the treatment. So that led us to think about how we could, you know, uh, embed algorithms into our software to create automatically recommendations that would. Uh, help patients make better decisions on a daily basis. So we, we teamed up with scientific partners, uh, initially in the field of diabetes, uh, where we saw an opportunity to support patients treated on insulin to uh, help them get instant advice regarding the right dose of insulin to inject. As you know, about a third of diabetic patients worldwide need to uh, inject insulin on a, it's, you know, a very effective drug, but you, know, you need to use it appropriately. You know, unfortunately, in the real world, uh, it's not done appropriately in, in a large number of cases. So uh, we felt that it would be great if we could provide, you know, smart guidance to patients as they need to make these decisions on the right dose of insulin to inject, how to better connect them with our, with our care team. So we decided to uh, work with scientific partners to create new algorithms that would, uh, you know, help collect patient data, but create a virtuous feedback loop to the mm -hmm. patient so that we could uh, immediately support them. And, and we did something crazy at that time. It was in uh, probably around 2006. We decided to start clinical trials around our software. So that was, you know, pretty early. <laughs> Uh, hey, that's how crazy ideas always come to life, yes. right? If you have persistence. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we, you know, we did some uh, feasibility studies first uh, in a limited setting, you know, one hospital, a uh, few patients, and um, we were impressed by the results. You know, we, that encouraged us to, you know, uh, do more in terms of clinical evaluation, to do studies of a larger scale. And ultimately, we did a randomized control trial that produced results in 2011. That time, it was like a wow, wow moment because we got, you know, very positive results in terms of clinical efficacy for our solutions. And, you know, all of a sudden, what was, you know, just a crazy idea with a software solution became a true medical product with value demonstrated from a clinical standpoint using the highest levels of rigor in the industry. So let me just rewind and understand a little bit of the journey, which again, sounds like a trailblazer, uh, you and your team, right? So early 2000, almost like a software play moving on into a patient support program, I'll call it instrumentation, right? Because a lot of pharma still to this day are looking at patient support programs as cost of doing business, but not actually looking at it as a 
huge driver of the business. That's my two cents on it. So you came in to, I'll say, optimize that relationship as a platform. And then the crazy part is, okay, let's actually, I'll call it inject, you know, software interventions and algorithms as part of that journey. And that was the big aha moment in around 2006. Yes, and it's really uh, how we could create uh, like a companion to patient's treatment. Uh, how we could have, uh, some, some people say uh, like a doctor in the pocket, you know, that would uh, instantly uh, guide you uh, through your treatment journey. And that would demultiply, you know, what we are currently doing most of the time with, you know, mostly human interventions with people on the phone, you know, that support patients. How technology can help us, you know, scale you know, interventions can really provide instantly the right support for patients when they need it. And there is a great need for that across therapeutic areas. So uh, even though we started with diabetes at the first place, we really from day one wanted to uh, see how we could create a platform that would be applicable uh, across multiple disease areas. On, uh, on right now, we are active in, in different fields. We'll, we'll probably talk more about it. But uh, yep. So the defining moment was really demonstrated clinical efficacy for you know, our digital solution. And that's still today what I guess is the common denominator of true digital therapeutics. You know, it's really an intervention for patients right. that is clinically validated. A number of things also happened for us in, in you know, between 2010 and 2012 uh, in terms of regulatory landscape. Mm -hmm. the, the regulations changed both in the US and in Europe at that time. So these software solutions became medical devices. So that had you know, a profound implication because now you, know, you would more readily define the type of products we create as software as medical devices. For instance, our diabetes product is regulated as a medical device. It's a class two in the US, it's a class two B in Europe. Uh, and we, we had to also change you know, the uh, organization of the company because we were shifting essentially from a software organization to more of a life science organization. So at that time, we added new members in our leadership team such as, for example, we a new uh, chief medical officer. We created a QA on regulatory affairs department. And essentially, uh, you know, we, we were operating more as a medtech organization. So that was very important. Clinical evidence first, change in regulatory status second. On, on top of that, a third element happened in the same period of time. We changed our business model. <laughs> Uh, and we I was just going to gonna uh, go there. Yeah. From yes. a, your, 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 your original hypothesis uh, sounds like, and again, to the extent that you can disclose kind of the platform for uh, patient support programs, you know, probably per patient per month or, or some kind of larger deals. But then that pivot into really having clinical operations, chief medical officer, you know, uh, working with the governments and regulators on reimbursements as a medical device. So, yeah, talk to me about that switch, not organizational, but more on the business model side. As I mentioned before that period of time, we were more like uh, with an IT business model. So, mm -hmm. you know, selling licenses of our software, you know, selling services around that. So that was, I mean, good. Huh? It's still... As know, an engineer uh, founder, right? Yes, that's, that's, that's what right. you know. Yeah, that right. was natural. That's what's natural. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so again, we saw the opportunity to do more than that. And we also uh, pioneered uh, another crazy idea, which was to look at what, you know, the biotech industry was doing. And uh, we wanted to uh, see whether we could apply the same type of partnering approaches that biotech uses with big pharma to the digital space. And uh, I, in 2011, 
we were the first uh, company to uh, license a product of that kind under a biopharmaceutical licensing model, just like a biotech firm. And now it's kind of common, right? A lot of DTXs, I'm, I'm kind of starting to say the DTX deals are looking more and more like the pharma biotech deals for yes. dozens of years now. Yes, and I think it makes a lot of sense huh? because you're you know, talking about licensing and medical technology you know, with great potential, with demonstrated value. So there is a common way of doing business in the pharma industry, uh, which is to go through these kind of agreements. And I think it makes a lot of sense for some of the products, you know, that are targeting, uh, let's say, medication optimization. On, uh, we can talk more about that, but yep. I, uh, these biopharmaceutical models, you know, are structured uh, as, you know, pre-launch revenues, post-launch revenues. Uh, pre-launch is when typically uh, a pharma company licenses our platform, wants to do some kind of co-development around it, just to make sure that we... Uh, provide a, a very personalized patient experience, which is very tailored for a specific drug. So we have a common platform that we apply for all our products, but still we can uh, adjust it sometimes to, uh, you know, in terms of user interface, in terms of some algorithms due to the specific pro profile of the drug and so on. So we start typically a collaboration now with some kind of co-development, which can include also a specific clinical trial yeah. with our partner. So, you know, it can be as fast as, uh, you know, six months if there is no, let's say, no huge work and we can just take the platform as it is and, you know, go, go to market with it. But most of the time, it typically is a co-development phase about two to three years. Yep. And then we are ready to go to market with our co-developed solution. And uh, then, uh, you know, we enter a new phase in terms of commercial revenue, which is more like a, what we call the post-launch revenues, which still take the form of, a, you know, per patient uh, mm -hmm. licensing, but it's you know much closer to a royalty as you would find it uh, in the biotech world. So for our listeners, and honestly, even for myself who've been around, and again, not as a practitioner of digital therapeutics, but some of your early year products, and I know we'll talk a little bit where you, you're also heading around diabetes. So Insulio and Diabio, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, twofold question. One, are those your standalone, you go to market yourself with these products or are these modified based on your partner as in pharma or something else? So that's one side of the question. The second part of that is what is that experience as me as a patient or health consumer, right? So let's break this apart. So the first one is, uh, are those standalone you go to market yourself or how does that work in your model? Yeah, great question. So uh, at the core of every one of our solutions is our platform. So that's really our proprietary uh, assets. There are two areas where we decided to develop end-to-end -end products. So it's diabetes and oncology. Insulia is a perfect example of the development that we did ourselves to go uh, up to an end-to-end -end product. That is directly linked to an investment decision, by the way, by the company. Mm -hmm. When we realized that uh, you know there is a you know, compelling opportunity, for us to go one step further than the platform and go uh, as far as getting, uh, let's say, the final product on, on our own with our own IP, then we decide to go through that extra step and go through regulatory clearance on, on our own and so on. So that's what we did in diabetes. We have expanded into oncology about six years ago. And again, uh, we have redone that. Now we have a, a solution which is called Olina that is focused on helping patients with better symptoms management. And as you know, in many cases in, uh, in cancer therapies, people experience side effects, you know, they need help to figure out what's the right you know, thing to do when, you know, these symptoms occur. Uh, so there is a great need to, you know, help patients better navigate through these issues. Uh, and uh, here we have applied our logics, you know, a little differently. 
you know, we provide recommendations to guide patients on what they should be doing when these symptoms occur, whether they should be you know, changing their behavior, whether they should, you know, should be adding a specific drug, you know, for, you know, to help through that, you know, symptomatic uh, management. Uh, or we also detect the need for escalation to the care team. If, uh, and that's the beauty of, you know, uh, combining digital technology with also uh, human support. It's really uh, how we can tell the care team that it's the right time to intervene uh, in yep. between face-to-face visits. But to coming back to your question, there are two uh, you know, areas where we have our own solutions, you know, diabetes and, and oncology. And we have done some licensing of our platforms in, with pharma. So we apply these products, but sometimes we fine tune them. Also, for example, when we see that it's good to go one step further for a specific type of insulin, for example, or in some cases when you need to connect uh, the solution to other devices, uh, and now it's more, there is more talk about ecosystems in, in the making. Yeah. So uh, a digital therapeutic increasingly is going to, uh, for example, retrieve data from sensors. Uh, in the future, you'll see more and more connected drugs, connected drug delivery systems. So uh, in that case, you know, the digital therapeutic will also usually talk to the connected device that administers the drug and so on. So there is a part of, you know, all these different uh, settings that prompts for some kind of co-development effort and adjustment in partnership with pharma. Beyond diabetes and oncology, we uh, you know, regularly you know, get requests from the pharma industry that is uh, interested in leveraging our platform. And uh, in that case, we look at these opportunities, we can deploy our platform, but then maybe there is more co-development uh, because the pharma is the one that you know, provides more expertise, more you know, knowledge about the specific sector. And then uh, we just, you know, uh, co-develop again a final product. Uh, We did that in coagulation, for example. And I guess you guys are trying to, again, mimic a little bit of the biotech model going forward, I would expect, right? In terms of licensing model, yes. From a a commercialization standpoint, yes. Uh, Let's say the phenotype of our business model is more the one of maybe a digital biotech. <laughs> yep. uh, so it's long-standing agreements, you know, some of our contracts span over 10 years. So it's really a very close relationship. I mean, I will see more and more of these, you know, solutions that will be uh, somehow paired or in companionship with drugs along the life cycle of the drug itself. So, you know, we're talking about potentially very long-standing relationships. Um, just to kind of close off on the patient or health consumer experience. So obviously when you're going to market yourself with, let's say, Olina, right? As a patient, if I'm on a particular drug or if I am diagnosed, like, can you walk me through a little bit of what that experience for me as a patient like? Uh, how does it get prescribed to me? A little bit of the flow. Yeah. So our solutions require a prescription by the healthcare team. It's directly related to the type of intervention uh, that we deliver to patients. So, uh, and that's you know the regulators typically demand that in both in the U.S. and in Europe. For example, insulin is a, you know a specific therapy that uh, needs to be carefully you know prescribed and administered. So uh, you know you need to be very cautious about you know the level of dosing that you can generate for your you know recommendations and so on. So it's, let's say, not really an option. You know, these solutions need to be you know, prescribed by care teams. Uh, it's the same, you know, in oncology where, you know, side effect management, you know, uh, working around the effect of a cancer treatment is very, uh, you know, specific. So there is, a, let's say, a, a need to extend the physician prescription and to integrate uh, these solutions within the, the actual care delivery pathway, the actual workflow uh, of the clinician. So everything would start with a care team that would see an interest to introduce this solution for a particular patient. 
So by the way, the pharma industry helps us also get to the care teams at the, at the first place in multiple geographies. But so the care teams have different options to prescribe and use our solutions. They can go online and do that for our you know, web portal. They can you know, sign forms also that we can retrieve then to initiate and so on. So once the prescription is done, there is an activation code which is generated by the system and uh, this uh, code is, is provided to patients. Uh, so they can download the uh, application on their smartphones. So uh, it works with you know, most smartphones today, you know, iOS, Android devices. But you, to start using the software, you need to enter this uh, activation code, which is, the, let's say, the, the outcome of the prescription. Uh, once you're with a, the product that has been activated, you can start using it. So typically what we do is we uh, you know, enable the patients to uh, enter data, either you know, through uh, manual data entry, uh, or if you have a sensor, for example, that collects data automatically, we can retrieve that data by connecting directly to, to the sensors. Then you know what's what's happening is our algorithms engine kicks in, you know, digests the data that we collect and automatically, thanks to the decision support rules that we have embedded into our platform, we provide them with an instant real-time recommendation that you know is actionable for patients. And uh, then we we have this ongoing help with the self-management of the treatment. Uh, at the same time, the data is again shared back with the care team uh, online. So uh, the care team can access all this information using dashboards. They have uh, automated notifications that they can you know, customize, they can get reports and so on. So that's really what can be also helpful to bridge the gap between patients and, and healthcare providers uh, remotely. So obviously it's a prescription, digital therapeutic, uh, doctors involved. Where do you see the continuing role of, because uh, you started the company about the thesis of self-care as well, right? Um, and digital technologies. Where do you see the role of doctors, nurses, but also health coaches, which has been one of the hotter things on the market, even though the health coaching has been around for 20 years? So the doctors, you know, are typically uh, going to be involved in the prescription uh, of digital therapeutics. They are going to be also involved in, you know, key decision making uh, along you know, the treatment journey. But what we're seeing is more and more like a, a team play around uh, the use of our products. And uh, it's, you know, frequent that, you know, uh, we'll see nurses acting on behalf of the physician, you know, taking a more active role in uh, being the actual uh, regular users uh, of these technologies. So uh, it's clear in, uh, in diabetes, it's uh, also happening in oncology. Nurses are really uh, are doing a lot to support patients on a continuous basis. And I think we, we see tremendous potential to support their work, uh, also to uh, improve it, because uh, a lot of things that you know, can be repetitive and don't necessarily require a lot of uh, human skills can be automated. Uh, whereas we can help them focus really on the more compelling situations, the more delicate, you know, uh, parts of the treatment where humans are essential to drive, you know, uh, treatment adjustments and to also support patients. So uh, health coaches are, you know, a great complement to that. I think there is only such uh, things that, you know, the care team can do. Uh, care teams are, you know, usually overloaded uh, in many cases. And uh, I see a, a good uh, opportunity for organizations that can help extend the care team in general. And sometimes we're talking about, you know, completely new roles also exactly. in, the, in the healthcare system, uh, roles that didn't exist that require, you know, specific skill sets. So that's fascinating. I mean, we are also uh, looking at an evolution of, uh, you know, let's say the functions across the, the care delivery uh, pathway. 
So since we're still talking about a little bit on uh, touching with pharma and prescriptions, I've always said a little bit that I'll say the more modern DTX companies like yourself that evolving, um, there's a bit of this frenemy relationship with pharma because on one side you can go direct, you can go to market access, but there's a huge value in pharma also, not just from market access perspective, but also clinical. But, you know, I wrote last November around will the novel DTX company, knowing the experience of the end consumer much better than the traditional pharma, swallow that molecular pill inside the experience and the digital therapeutic experiences? Or will pharma start swallowing DTX companies as part of that? So I'm curious where your head is. I fully understand that, you know, a big core part of your business is pharma. uh, But just uh, curious if you fast forward, where's your head on this? Yeah, it's a fascinating question, and I think we uh, it's good to speculate about you know the future of uh, of the industry. Personally, I believe that we'll we'll see different flavors uh, of digital therapeutics moving forward. Uh, so there is not going to be one size fits all model. At a high level, I would say that you have you know broadly speaking two different categories of digital therapeutics. Uh, one is really positioned as a substitute to drug therapies. You could call that a standalone treatment. The second category is uh, companions to uh, you know drug therapies, so uh, really to help uh, optimize medications in the real world. Voluntis is really specialized today in the second mm-hmm. category. So uh, I mean we don't have let's say uh, the positioning of willing to replace a drug, but we are we still acknowledge the fact that on, uh, there are very effective interventions that you know could be effective as another option in addition to drugs. On uh, you know great companies are active in that category today. And it's fascinating to see that uh, you know there are more and more potential modalities to best support patients uh, in a let's say non-molecular way. Yep. In our case, we see uh, a tremendous uh, you know need, uh, and uh, that is still you know to to be met really to optimize medications in, in daily lives. Uh, in a nutshell, you have very effective drugs today, and more and more you know uh, efficient therapies. However. In a growing number of cases, there are, you know, sometimes there are complex therapies with administration challenges, you know, dosing issues. You see more and more treatments administered at home. You see uh, a need to help manage side effects, uh, need to uh, help, you know, connect the patient with the care team. Uh, and we have seen that, for example, in oncology. It's been you know, uh, very interesting you know, a few past 10 years uh, where you have, you know, you had you know, treatment that initially were administered exclusively at the hospital. Now this shifting gradually towards more treatments administered at home. You see more and more oral therapies. So the formulations of the drug are evolving also. And there is a great need to support these transitions uh, of care. So in our case, we see a, a, a very important avenue in focusing on uh, optimizing drugs on a you know, we are pretty specialized and we want to be, you know, at leading edge in really digitally augmenting therapies. And I think you'll, if we talk about the future of the pharma industry and, uh, you know, we'll see more and more combinations, I believe. So more and more drugs are going to be combined with a form of digital companion. We really want to be uh, one of the companies, uh, you know, of reference for, for pharma when they want to, uh, you know, go into that direction. But I, is one industry going to swallow the other? I mean, personally, uh, I think that, uh, 
everyone should stay in their core, comp- you know, area of competency. <laughs> no, right. Our core competency at Voluntis is really, you know, uh, creating these smart digital companions. You know, the core competency of a pharma is really to develop great molecules. I think we can, you know, jointly take advantage of each other's, you know, great DNA and competencies uh, to develop, you know, transformative experiences uh, for patients. And uh, I, I don't have the ambition to replace, you know, the manufacturer of the drug. And I think, you know, pharma realizes that other players can also complement their core area of expertise. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the talented individuals across the whole health and care industry, right? But I think we are seeing quite a lot of uh, pull and push of talent across, right? Which is actually great, and which is what creating some of this. So sticking to this, I like your uh, sort of definition a bit of the substitute to drug therapy and a companion to the molecular drug therapy. On that same note, and, you know, in some of the discussions with Brian Dolan, for example, you know, the concept of prescription digital therapeutic, which a companion or a substitute can be, as you guys are, and as, for example, Achilles is, right? And then there is a little bit of mis, I would say, misnomer of, I'll call it novel health services that are also, and I won't mention any names of the companies, but that also have software-based interventions, but also human services around it, for example, like health coaches. Where do you see the delineation, or it's not, between kind of prescription digital therapeutics, both substitute and companion, and novel health services? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, uh, what is, I guess, the optimal care is really to take advantage of the best in digital technology and the best in human interventions. And I think, you know, uh, what we're trying to find is really the optimal balance, you know, between the two. So I wouldn't necessarily think that uh, digital technology will, uh, you know, uh, take over <laughs> and really uh, replace a human intervention. I mean, what we have seen in, in various cases, uh, you know, in our in different uh, areas of development, that you know, both are very relevant, uh, but when used appropriately. So, uh, for example. There is a lot of waste, you know, in the in the industry in general, but uh, human interventions that are being performed without a great deal of visibility, you know, on where the patient is actually on their on their journey. You know, in the US, you know, you see multiple organizations intervening around the patient. You know, the payers are developing their you know care management programs. Their PBM might be doing some intervention. The pharma might be doing some kind of patient support program. Then the care team is also evolving on creating more human coaches. Now you have also private companies that have their health coaches on the phone. And so on. sometimes, you know, it can be confusing for patients because you have many different organizations and that don't necessarily share data, uh, by the way. Uh, and uh, I think what we need to do really as an industry to find the optimal mix uh, of intervention, uh, you know, we know what you know what our technologies can do. We know what our technologies still cannot do today. We know that our technology can uh, go to a certain extent, but then it's necessary for the care team to do something with that data and to potentially, for example, adjust the treatment, change the prescription for an oncology drug or something else. So I don't think that uh, you know there is uh, necessarily a model that is better than the other. I mean. Uh, uh, we need uh, both, you know, sectors, and we need to find, according to each therapeutic area, what is the right balance and mix of intervention to do what's best for patients. So we're trying to find the best uh, high-tech and uh, high-touch experience, uh, I believe, in all these different fields. And the equation is different uh, according to the disease state, you know, according to uh, what patients really need on a daily basis. But uh, for me, it's not a black and white question. Uh, you know, we really see that it's great to have new new health services such as the one that you describe 
and there is a good case also for you know stronger partnering uh, in the space as we uh, as we discussed yep. because uh, I think we need to bridge the gap in the interest of patients you know between multiple groups intervening so it's important to better coordinate uh, approaches in general. Speaking of coordination and cooperation, so let's let's take the uh, time capsule back in time. I want to say probably around 2016. I still remember this was I I think around J.P. Morgan, a little side event where I think where you and I might have met with Roberto and Mark. Uh, and I remember I think uh, Eddie Matucci was showing a game, right? And I believe, to my knowledge, that's when sort of the concept of the Digital Therapeutic Alliance was born. But please correct me, kind of what what transpired in your head and few others. So give us a little bit of the history of how the Digital Therapeutic Alliance was formed and what was the original purpose, which is, I think, the DTA is still sticking to. So just, you know, a few minutes in the history capsule. Yeah, thanks for you know, this great moment that we had, you know, collectively. I mean, personally, I'm... A, very, I'm very convinced of uh, industry-wide collaboration. I mean, I've uh, for uh, you know the past uh, years, I've seen the value of collaborating in different circles to uh, you know advance specific topics that are much larger than you know uh, every single company's business. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we are uh, up to something big and something massive here in terms of transformation of uh, of the healthcare industry. And uh, a number of you know companies that have been you know pioneering in the space have uh, you know found uh, you know uh, similar needs. I mean to catalyze the uh, introduction of these solutions on um, its massive change management that we need to go through. Uh, how to get to a point where um, these solutions are prescribed routinely at scale in many geographies of the world? How do get to a point? where payers start reimbursing for uh, these solutions, but also for the activities that the healthcare professionals do to prescribe and use these solutions, even when there is no face-to-face visits, when they have to engage remotely with with patients and so on. All these questions go much beyond uh, a single company business. And uh, I I felt that by starting to uh, addressing these kind of challenges, that it was probably the right time to uh, you know team up with other like-minded individuals that you know were CEOs of uh, other you know great you know digital therapeutics companies that were starting to achieve a certain level of maturity and uh, you know by talking to uh, some of our peers, Eddie and uh, Corey and uh, David at, you know at Popular, <laughs> uh, you know we had uh, Sean at uh, Omala, you know a few of these you know uh, individuals really uh, realized that um, it was Co- cooperation. Compelling. Is the new it competition. Was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was compelling to you know join forces and uh, and really uh, start talking more about how to you know tackle these uh, issues at uh, at an industry level. And uh, again, we realized that there was no such group uh, already there, and uh, uh, we were talking about the birth uh, of a new industry sector. So uh, essentially, we uh, so that that was in 2016, or I know that in 2017 you guys officially launched, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so that, you know there was an initial dialogue about how to go with it uh, in terms, you know, how to formally assemble the, the DTA. I mean, uh, I had the pleasure of you know working with Megan, who is now the executive director of DTA, and uh, you know she was instrumental also in helping us really define on a, you know put it together as a standalone organization separate from uh, you know each of our companies. So we looked at the different you know options. So we decided to incorporate, you know, this new organization as a new uh, industry trade association in the U.S., but we also wanted uh, from day one to have more of a global view. So 
there was a lot of fine tuning that happened at the at the early stages on uh well i am and, and i think happy. still is right because i'm sure as a small organization and we've had megan and jessica on this podcast as well that there's a lot to do globally right and, uh, yes. and some of these great examples of countries stepping up and saying well this makes sense right yeah, and I, I am amazed by, uh, by, I mean, the great uptake of the DTA also. I mean, it's fascinating to see the great, you know, interventions that are being invented in multiple parts of the world. And, uh, you know, when we uh, look at uh, also uh, the disease areas where you see digital, you know, therapeutics today, it's, you know, it's vast and it's expanding. And uh, you see the geographies where, you know, these solutions are implemented. It's really, truly worldwide now. So, uh, you know, we have fast grown our, you know, membership since we started about three years ago. And now you have a very diverse group of companies and it's more and more global. So even if a lot of things around uh, digital therapeutics started in the US and in Europe, now you start to see, you know, great innovation from Asia and other places in the world. And that's really uh, fascinating to me. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay, here's my question. Volantis is one of the few digital health companies that is publicly listed. This, of course, brings with it a greater deal of transparency around its financials, around maybe losing big customers, etc., so why did Valenis decide to list on a public market while it was still a relatively small company? And if you could do it over, would you make a different decision? Thank you, Brian. So I'm happy to share more about uh, also our journey on what led us to uh, go public uh, on uh, Euronext in Paris uh, about two years ago. So uh, about in 2017, uh, we you know, looked at our options to uh, catalyze the growth of the company. And we, uh, you know, felt that it was the right time for us to accelerate and to raise uh, several dozens of million uh, euros in that case to uh, support our expansion. Expansion in the US, uh, notably expansion into uh, uh, oncology and uh, taking advantage also of uh, new uh, reimbursement frameworks in uh, both in the US and in Europe. So at that time we reviewed our you know, different uh, options. We uh, were just starting to uh, get to an interesting level of maturity as a company with uh, solutions that were already uh, in a regulatory cleared, that were just starting to get covered by payers starting in Europe. We had also uh, an initial set of flagship partnerships with pharma companies. So it was really uh, the start of an opportunity for us to get listed in, in Europe. And we, um, we looked at our options carefully. Uh, either we would go through another round of private funding, either we would go public uh, on Euronext. Uh, you know, it was a careful assessment about, you know, different parameters, uh, whether, you know, we would uh, get the uh, funding that we would need, whether we would get the valuation range that we would, you know, like, uh, whether, you know, our investors would, uh, you know, prefer this option or the other. So a decision was made uh, at that time uh, to go public on Euronext. So there are, you know, uh, advantages on constraints uh, associated with being a listed company. To your point, uh, there is a great deal of transparency. And uh, so we have had to structure really our operations uh, even further. So there is a, a great deal of information uh, that we, you know, we share with the markets on a regular basis. By the way, that is good also, I guess, for you know, uh, 
commercial discussions because our, you know our partners see a company with a certain level of maturity and uh, they know that they can find the relevant information about you know the way we do business out there so there is a also the great advantages when you know for example in uh, raising new funds as an example you know recently we uh, executed a private placement uh, essentially the execution of uh, the uh, transaction took 24 hours <laughs> so you know being a private company <laughs> it usually took uh, you know months to uh, get to the same results so uh, i mean there are some specificities uh, associated with a public company but it's still an effective way you know for european companies to gain access to capital in a space where uh, you know large fund raises you know but at that time were still uh, not very common yep no agreed part of the reason for this podcast is to get to know the trailblazers and the people driving this industry so would love to know what is your why and what makes you get up in the morning <laughs> so uh, uh, i mean the why uh, for me is really uh, that we make a difference in patients' lives. That's really, you know, what has been a key motivator for me since, uh, you know, I work in this industry on, uh, for me to start, uh, you know, volunteers with my uh, fellow co-founders. So, uh, you know, it's very gratifying to see, uh, you know, the testimonials from uh, patients using our products on, uh, on a regular basis. I can tell you uh, in our team, you know, as soon as we get, you know, these kind of testimonials, uh, we feel rewarded about, you know, the fact that what right. we're doing is right. It's right for patients. It's right for the industry. Uh, and it's also, the, it's uh, obvious that the industry is going to move in that direction. I guess the key question that uh, is really the pace of uh, that transition. Uh, but there, I mean, if you talk to uh, everybody, a lot of people will acknowledge that uh, in the future, you'll see this new form of therapies, digitally augmented therapies, and, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, data will, su you know, support uh, the way the healthcare system works in general. I would say uh, another key motivator for me is also uh, it's not every day that you can work in a, in a new industry in the making. <laughs> I, right. I think I, I feel fortunate to work in a very exciting space and to be at the forefront of a big revolution. So digital therapeutics, I'm convinced, is going to be massive. It's going to be a, a large industry, a new industry sector. So uh, you know the pharma industry, you know the medtech industry. And I think the you know, digital therapeutics is a new industry. <laughs> Uh, to me, it's very exciting uh, to be working at this particular moment of, you know, in time uh, at the very beginning of a new industry. Yeah, you know, transformational for sure. So thank you very much, Pierre, for taking the time with our audience. Uh, and uh, hopefully the audience found this very useful and helpful. Great. Thank you, Eugene. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dolan's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borovich, and catch you next time.